Hello again. How are you? Welcome to some more curving conversation. Everywhere that I went, men's eyes burnt holes in my clothes. As you can hear, we are in the rehearsal room at Curve for the latest episode to meet the cast as they prepare for the opening of the Tennessee Williams Pulitzer Prize winning classic Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Now, later on, we'll have two examples of the fabulous work done by local poets in a new exhibition here. And we'll meet the fabulous Jodie Prenger, who returns to Curve in October in Tell Me on a Sunday. Before we start, though, a reminder that the autumn brochure is out and it has a comprehensive look at the amazing things happening now at Curve and coming up over the next six months or so into 2022. So make sure you look out for it. Accept that condition. Let go. Now, as you can hear, rehearsals are well underway for Tennessee Williams' Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. It opens on the 3rd of September and is directed by one of our previous Curving Conversation guests, Anthony Almeida, winner of the 2019 RTST Sapita Hall Director Award. Now, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof follows the acclaimed Made at Curve production of Tennessee Williams' A Streetcar Named Desire. Two of the cast, Sienna Kelly, who plays Maggie, and Oliver Johnston, who plays Brick, have taken a break from rehearsals to join me. How are you both? Good. I'm We're tired. Well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm full of beans. I've got, <laughs> got to say, to start with, Sienna, this isn't your first time at Curve, but the first time was quite a while ago, wasn't it? Um, I want to say it was like seven or eight years ago, and I was about 17 and I was in the ensemble of a new musical that we did here called Water Babies. Yeah, it was interesting because it was my first ever, I think, professional stage job and I wasn't used to that. (laughs) It's an incredible venue though, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's beautiful. It's great and the theatre is gorgeous and I mean, right now we're rehearsing the rehearsal room and that's so helpful. Really, really, really helpful. I mean, it's going to cut down tech time by a lot. Because it's like, it's like rehearsing in a, in a yeah. theatre it's like rehearsing in, yeah. a, in a small kind of theatre yeah. so it, it, it'll make that transition between rehearsal room and theatre hopefully a, a little bit less terrifying yeah, because you're already in quite a large space you actually knew or met and worked with Nikolai Foster when you were still a student didn't you yeah that was just before I was a student I was like still in just like secondary school he directed me in a production of West Side Story and mm. I played Anita I think I was 16 and we did it in Manchester in like a warehouse that we turned, it made it look like New York and everything. It was for the National Youth Music Theatre. Yeah. It was so brilliant. It was a genuine like life-changing experience and made me be like, oh, okay, I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I could do this. It was it was one of those um, things that like when you're a teenager, you crave sobbing. All oh, the whole cast is sobbing at the end. And, a lot of them I'm still really, really good friends About four of them I'm really, really, really good friends with yeah. still now. But, um, yeah, I haven't seen him since I was 16. So it was really ah. funny when we, we saw each other because uh, now I'm 25. Yeah. And I know that he directed a production of West Side Story here. He did. Was it last? It, it a was couple an years amazing ago? production as well. There was about three people from my production of it in it. Yeah, really. But, it, was. Um, it was so amazing. It deserves to be seen again. I hope it does yeah. um, at some time. Brand new choreography for the first time as well, which yeah. was amazing. Now, Oliver, you are... I talked to you before we started the chat about Shakespeare because, you know, an awful lot of your credits, film and television as well, but a lot of Shakespeare in there. It it wasn't something I necessarily planned uh, at all because you can't really plan in this industry at all. And I didn't necessarily feel like I left drama school feeling like, oh, yeah, I can do Shakespeare now. But the opportunity presented itself and 
I really enjoy it. Doing a play anyway, is, there's quite a lot of problem solving involved in creativity. And Shakespeare's got a further problem solving <laughs> thing with the language. But once, I, I guess once you feel kind of a little bit more comfortable with it, um, it it's a, it's a, you know, it can be a real joy to, to, to play. And some actors will never play the Guildhall or the RSC or the Barbican and all these places that you've done. That's amazing. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm really grateful for it. And uh, my, my, the first big opportunity came when I was offered two roles at the RSC to play Yakima and Cymbeline and Edgar and King Lear in a, in a season. And, and they're both hugely contrasting parts. Yakima is this sort of Italian Lothario and Edgar is this young sort of prince-like figure who has to go into hiding and pretends to go mad and famously dances around in a muddy loincloth which is lots of fun but it was it was massively contrasting and it, and it just yeah it was deeply satisfying we played the RSC and from then I, I think after that year that was the sort of that was a bit like Shakespeare um, SAS training because it was so mm-hmm. different and we had to do it so much. So, so now I sort of feel, feel more comfortable than I did before when, when, when tackling those roles in, in those theatres. Like children. I do so like children adore them. Well brought up. Well, why don't you have some and bring them on well then, instead of all the time picking on Goofus and Maze. Uh, hey, hey, big mama, guests gotta go. Wait for you, bye. Tell them to hold the horses, I'll be right down in a jiffy. Yes, ma'am. Cat on Arctic Roof is as intense, isn't it, in many ways in terms of the dysfunctional family, the tensions and all the themes that are so relevant today. Tell us a bit about your character, Brick. I think the main difference would be that lots of Shakespeare's characters, in fact, probably all of Shakespeare's characters are pretty articulate, are pretty adept at saying how they feel. There's, there's, I, I'm not an expert, but I think there's very little subtext in Shakespeare. Generally people say what they yeah. mean or feel. And Brick, my character in Cat and Hot Tin Roof, is inarticulate. He is completely unable to describe his inner life. And that's kind of his problem. In a nutshell, Cat and Hot Tin Roof is a I guess it's a party. It's um, Big Daddy's 65th birthday party and the family descend on their plantation in the Mississippi Delta for the celebration. But the dysfunctional family being what it is, the cracks begin to appear in quite a profound way from the first line. I was just saying, it was like the cracks are there from the very Yeah, beginning. the cracks are there. So there's, there's a lot of tension Your in there. is a crack. But yeah, and, and Brick is going through a, a lot of suffering, a lot of pain. He's developed an alcohol problem and is unable to say really how he feels and he's struggling mentally. Perfectly cast because you look like a former sportsman, let me tell you, as well. That's, that's, you're the first person to say that <laughs> and maybe the last but thank you very much a specific one or just in general just in general oh. I'm just trying to be nice and, uh, <laughs> I love it you're questioning it you're questioning it Sienna doesn't buy this <laughs> I don't know it's um, <laughs> your relationship Sienna Maggie and Brick is, is key to the whole thing really isn't it mm-hmm. yeah it is I think the chemistry and the tension is really really key we're trying to get that <laughs> and yeah. like find it and I think we are and we're definitely on our way but um yeah, it's really heartbreaking because it essentially is just someone who needs and, and wants help and someone who wants to help but 
doesn't really know how to. There's a is miscommunication. There, yeah, there's, there's cross wires like, yeah. type thing mm. happening. There's a lot of missed opportunities for, yeah. there's no warmth or love or connection, uh, not just between Maggie and Brick, but between, family, yeah. between almost every a character in the play. Yeah, and it's just, it's, I don't think it's a thing of people not wanting to. That's probably part of its enduring popularity yeah. is that it feels very true to any family that yeah. most families are yeah, it's just people wanting to help but not knowing how to and that that I think is always really really heartbreaking because I am not giving you any excuse to divorce you for being unfaithful maybe I wouldn't divorce you for being unfaithful how don't you know that I'd be relieved to know that you found yourself a lover well I'm taking no chances no I'd rather stay on this hot tin roof. There's a sort of a, a, emotional understanding and intelligence that's required, mm. arguably for all of the characters, that's not quite met by the surrounding characters, you know. Mm. And there's a generational difference between Big Daddy and Big Mama mm -hmm. and what their attitude towards, let's say, mental health and what our generation, uh, our character's generation kind of experience but then even between Brick and Maggie there's a, there's a differing well, attitude towards yeah well we have um, two characters who are very close and love each other but they're from ex wildly different backgrounds Brick grew up a very 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 privileged like millionaire yeah that's what yeah. Big Daddy says like multi-millionaire house and mm. you know handsome and everyone adores him and like very talented and very successful extremely young <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Maggie, you know, says a couple of times how disgustingly poor she was and the things that she had to do. And, you know, she's a really, really headstrong character and determined and a grafter. Well, why don't he say something? God almighty, if he said this like that, she'd make him shout. Make me shout, I can tell you. I shouted and sobbed and fell right down. Were you aware of the story? Have you seen the film? Or some actors would look at it and think, I don't want to go and see a movie, or I've never seen this, I want to go to it fresh with open eyes. Others might want to research it. How did you approach it? I thought that I hadn't seen it, and then I remembered that I had seen it when I was at drama school. I saw James L. Jones and Adrian oh, Lester yeah. in the West End. Yeah. And I, honestly, I can't say that I remember you know, the whole production, but I remember really loving it. Mm. I'm thinking, you know, this, there's a reason that this is a classic. Um, because the, the, the relationships are just so rich. There's so much going on. There's, there's kind of, in one sentence, there's, there's love, there's anger, there's resentment, there's, there's sort of warmth. It's, it's, um, it's so textured in that way. And I remember Adrian Lester as Brick talking about his, this click that he gets in his head when he has enough drink to make him feel peaceful. And that just stuck with me. But I, I haven't pursued you know watching any reminding myself of that production or watching any other productions um tennessee williams famously hated the movie didn't he yeah but yeah. this is such a fabulous foundation you can go into a, a rehearsal room using the foundation and breathe some new air into it can't you yeah. i did i knew i had heard of cat on the hot tin roof and like when i thought of it elizabeth taylor's image came into yeah. my mind but i'd never watched the movie um i'd never seen a production I'd never read it. I went, I, I think the only reason why I went in for the audition was they said they were gonna do something new with it. I'm yeah. not really a traditionalist type person. Yeah. I don't like seeing things done uh, traditionally. What was it like, by the way, to be, get back into a rehearsal room? It may be the first jobs that you've done in a theater since COVID, is it? 
Yeah, it is. I haven't had to learn this many lines in so long. <laughs> and now, <laughs> like that part of my brain is not the muscle functioning. Goes, yeah. oh the my muscle God. gets weak it's and you an can't remember. Absolute you know, muscle. Four lines. But it's been really, really fun and really nice and really creative and just it feels like I'm working. I don't know about you, but it feels like I'm working on a, a brand new play because yeah. Anthony's being really free with it mm. and being like, for me as someone who's not. We are well versed with the classics, and I don't really tend to watch them that much. It feels re- I'm really in- enjoying that. It makes me I don't feel stressed about being yeah. like, oh my god, am I doing it? How it should be done? Yeah. And everyone has an expectation, and like whatever, I'm doing what I'm doing with it. That's a good way of putting it. Actually, we sort of want it to feel like it's, you know, whilst acknowledging its its um, popularity, we want it to feel like a new play. You never you yeah. never go into something thinking, oh, I'm going to play this different from the person before. You go into it thinking, this is my version yeah. of this, and 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 now, you know. This is our attitude towards yeah. family and greed and mental health and yeah. love very much now, not not when it was written in yeah. whenever it was, 50-something, 50 56. I think Tennessee Williams would, would welcome that. I mean, he's famously rewritten it himself uh, yeah. two or three times because the themes and the foundation is so strong. You can do that, can't you? And it must be great for you and um, for actors anyway. It's almost like a workshop in a way because you can all bring your own ideas. It does feel like a yeah. workshop. It does feel really, really creative and it mm. feels really fun. And also read just going into it so much i'm now like oh i get it i yeah. see why mm. this is one of the most yeah, one of the greatest plays ever written and anthony's attitude has from has always been to honor the sort of spirit of what williams wrote but yeah. it's our version let's yeah. let's approach let's tackle it like it is a new play mm-hmm. uh, and that has been really really fulfilling actually it's a joy to have you both here uh, welcome back Sienna looking forward to Cat on the Hot Tin Roof when it opens at Curve I hope rehearsals continue to go well for you both and uh, again welcome to Leicester thank you for talking to us thank thanks you. a lot Martin cheers All right, thank you Memphis big Sad Sally in Memphis We're going to hear some fabulous poetry next. During the summer of 2021, Curve has been exhibiting poetry written as part of a recent community creative writing challenge, as well as film and other digital performances created by Curve's associate companies, Sidekick and Moving Together, as well, of course, as Curve's young company. Now, the project was inspired by Leicester City Council's We've Missed You campaign, and it's by the Clock Tower poem written by Arch Creative co-founder Joe Nixon, the focus of the European Regional Development Fund reopening High Street Safely campaign. All of the poems tell the story of Leicester during and after lockdown, celebrating the diversity, resilience and individuality of the people here and their hopes as lockdown eases. The first poem you're about to hear was written and will be read by Lyd Arlo. Lyd was involved in the People's Poem, which saw two of Leicester's most celebrated poets, Mr Shea and Tyrone Horton, work with budding local writers to create a piece about the city and our experiences over the last year. Lyd's poem is called The Pride of Leicester. We've been locked in our houses, glued to our couches, missing all the culture because we've been without it. Leicester, I've missed you. I've been at a loose end not knowing what to do because without the West End's busy bustling buzz or poetry recitals down at the Western pub, it's not felt quite like Leicester because Leicester is alive. 
It's the city that I come from. It's the city where we thrive. It burns blue like a Bunsen. I remember back in primary school singing, We're from Leicester, mighty, mighty Leicester. And learning that here you can be anything doctor, artist, protester. Take a walk down the Narborough Road and tell me you don't see real life. And sure, we've been through the ringer, we've been through some strife. But here in Leicester, when we get knocked down, we get back up again. Just ask the foxes when they bring home a cup again. I love this city because here the impossible can happen. Maybe you'll find a king under a car park or anything else you can imagine. And I've missed meeting my friends at the clock tower in the centre. I'm ready to get back to it. I'm ready to get back to Leicester. The Pride of Leicester, written and read by Lyd Arlo. Rivka Miller was inspired by this poem and the Curve Poetry Resource Pack to write her own poem. It's called Weep for the Beautiful City and is part of the Community Creative Writing Exhibition, which is currently on display at Curve on the mezzanine. Weep for the beautiful city with a tear in her garment for what she has lost. Feet that ran now drag a little as they walk these streets and hurry inside and close the lonely door. Don't rush to the next page where it will all be okay. Just hush and leave a space. There will always be a lingering trace and a sad remembrance. And that is okay. Breathe. Love loves this beautiful city. Love sees behind the closed doors and opens new ones. Like a voice calling from a minaret, take heart and take a hand. We fought this together And together we stand. The wind will gust down these streets and around these corners and blow in something new. But just in this moment, we are standing in the gap of an alleyway with our hand on the wall to catch our breath. Riff Camilla reading her own poem, Weep for the Beautiful City, which is included in the Community Creative Writing Exhibition, and you can see that right now on display at Curve on the Mezzanine. Jodie Prenger returns to Curve in October following her acclaimed performances here in the National Theatre production of A Taste of Honey, as well as other West End and touring shows you may have seen her in, like Oliver, One Man Two Governors, Annie, Abigail's Party and Calamity Jane, amongst others. This time Jodie stars as Emma in Andrew Lord Webber and Don Black's classic musical Tell Me on a Sunday, and Jodie is joining us for some more curving conversation. How are you, Jodie, first of all? I am very well. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. No stranger, of course, to Curve, or indeed Nikolai Foster, who directed Calamity Jane. But you obviously love coming back here, don't you? I do. No, I do. I do. And I just, do you know, the theatre 
theatre is a fantastic theatre, but the people in that theatre are just phenomenal. So, yeah, no, I'm a massive fan. Do you know, if I could wear my I Love Nikolai Foster badge on all the time, <laughs> I would. <laughs> but, no, it's just, you know, it's a testament to the building. You know, it's filled with lovely people. And, and no matter what show, you know, I go with there, we always have a brilliant time. So, no, thoroughly looking forward to coming back. Well, you'll be aware that uh, Curve has done so many different things uh, to try and engage with its audience during COVID-19, stream performances and so on. How's it been for you? Have you been able to do some work? I am very grateful. And I, I'm not usually one of those that go, you know, hashtag blessed, hashtag grateful. I usually cringe at the fact. I think that's what actually got me off Facebook. To be fair. <laughs> if I saw one more hashtag blessed. But no, I was very grateful to um, we actually myself and a pal of mine, Neil Hurst, which I believe you know very well. I do. We wrote the uh, rather ridiculous book and lyrics for the Turbine Theatre's um, Cinderella. Uh, we also got a TV show option, which was very exciting. And then I took part in Hushabai Mountain, uh, the ceremony, which we also just filmed the pilot for, um, and the band plays on at the Crucible. So I think I missed theatre so much. And it, and it was a shock to all of our systems, wasn't it? It's like, what, what, what do we do now? Where do we go? You know. So just to have those little snippets throughout the whole pandemic, and, and, and even now what we're going through is just... I am going to say hashtag grateful. Please don't hate me. <laughs> I'm not rejoining face cloth, but I am going to offer you a hashtag grateful. Thank you. Well, listen, this is you returning to a, a role you've you've played before four or five years ago. And, and you know the team as well, the whole team, the creatives on this. So how did it feel to get back in the rehearsal room? Do, do you know what I thought? Do you know, I'm going to know it. I'm going to remember it all. I got in there. I was like, oh, I forgot what I said. <laughs> do you know? But in a, but in a bizarre weird way that was really useful because we totally almost reinvented the piece and I found like little new nuances that you you know you discover and you relish in so it's really interesting from a performer's point of view to revisit a part because you I think you find so much more in it you know you develop you know and we're not like a <laughs> more like a fine wine than a fungus you know what I mean so it's kind of nice to revisit something it really was now, when you came to this in the first place, how much did you know about it? I mean, it famously began its life as half of a, a show, really, called Song and Dance, with you know Wayne Sleep starring in the dance section and Marty Webb in the, the song section, which was effectively Tell Me on a Sunday. This was back in the 80s when you weren't even born. So how much did you know about this? Oh, I, I, well, I, I did offer, I said, look, I have got a onesie that I could turn into a leotard. And if they want me to offer my Wayne Sleep... <laughs> I'm ready to I'm ready to plie into that kind of into the limelight. But and surprisingly enough, they said no, Jody, step down. I was like, okay, awkward. <laughs> um, okay, I'll sing instead. No, it was I, I knew it. And the bizarre thing is, I have literally just moved house, and of course, you get out all your boxes from the attic and from years and decades ago. And I opened one box, and in it was the score of Tell Me a Sunday, which I must have bought when I was early teens must have done and I was like oh and it, it just takes you back and I think this this is what this show does it's the people I've spoke to who've come to see the show already they go it's always a, in a relation to a happy memory to an anniversary to meeting the partner to one of the first albums they bought and tell me the Sunday was on it so I think it's got that resonance and it's it's lovely to to have that because it's definitely got it for me what a dream team as well Andrew Lord Webber and Don Black 
It's not too shabby, is it? No. I, do you know what? I, I say one thing. I think they'll both do well in life. I think we'll get on. <laughs> <laughs> but it was. It came from, I remember, I, I think the name Emma, correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew was saying it came from when Bernadette Peters played it. And then I think they were having dinner somewhere and they were saying, you know, what's her name? And then that's the name came Emma. And then what did she do? And I think across the road at the time was a hat shop. <laughs> so she worked in a hat shop. I, I'm not saying my Emma worked in a hat shop. Um, as Elaine Strick said, you know, why, does anybody work, still wear a hat? Um, but uh, she's just, she's a, the character, I think, Emma itself, I think the one thing that Andrew Lloyd Webber and Don Black have created, she's she always stays positive. She goes through so much, but she kind of comes out and you know, and she battles on. And I think it's very kind of it almost kind of matches mirror like to what we've all gone through with the pandemic. You know, we kept yeah. getting knocked down, but we got up. So yes, it, it's it's a lovely show to take out and be part of. It really is. Well, of course, it, its success in the West End uh, began in the 80s and on Broadway. It's actually set in the 80s and it tells the story of Emma, the character you, you play, who is an English girl in New York. Is she from Blackpool, uh, by the way? No, she's not. No, she, she does come from the North, but she did kind of move to London, which ironically is exactly what I, it's exactly what I did. You know, I came from Blackpool and then I went to live in London and... So, yeah, there's a lot of things I can relate to with the part of Emma. So, yeah, she's not from Blackpool. She doesn't go on with a stick of rock and fish and chips. And it is, it is a, it's, it's almost a diary of, of her life in New York, um, the adventures she has, you know, her own frustrations, concerns, anxieties and so on. It's a real insight into the character. And you have some fantastic songs. Now, some people may know the songs, but not necessarily the story. But it really does uh, delve into her life, doesn't it? And her thoughts. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and listen, she goes, you know, her fortunes and her sadly misfortunes and the guy she meets and how she tackles that. But it's just it's like I said, it's her resilience almost that kind of I totally admire admire about that girl. I mean, half the fellas she meets, I feel like slapping them before she's even talked to them. But um, yeah, it's, she's a she's a lovely character, absolutely lovely character to play. Now, I said at the very beginning, this was uh, originally half of a show uh, called Song and Dance. Uh, for that reason, predominantly, it's not the longest of shows. But like any good DVD, your show comes with bonus features, doesn't it? Well, yeah, exactly. You get an act one and, you know, you know, send yourself to the bar for the interval and then you can come back for an act two. I, I, I've got to admit, I love act two. It's a Q&A with the audience and there's a few more kind of songs we sing through and what have you. But it's just a really relaxed. And for me, it's a total, hello, I've missed you. You know, it's that kind of, it's that kind of feeling. I have to say, you love that sort of one-to-one relationship with an audience, don't you? I, it's, it's just, it's like any of us. I, I know maybe it's not some people's sort of thing, but it's just, it's what I've grown up with. And I just think, I just I just love them. And I always think no matter what kind of production you're in, theatre, you, you can't beat live entertainment. And, and the reason for that is it is a two-way relationship. It's the audience and the cast and crew, back, you know, on stage and backstage. And it's 
it's magical and that's why I think we've all missed it so much. Well we're so looking forward to seeing it. It opens at Curve on Tuesday the 12th of October through to Saturday the 16th of October in the studio at Curve. It promises to be a fantastic night. Uh, Jodie, thank you so much for talking to us. Hey, not at all. Absolutely a pleasure. And I'm afraid that's about all we have time for on this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe through your favourite podcast app or go to curveonline.co.uk and I hope that you can join me next time when I'll be catching up with Curve resident creatives Burnt Lemon Theatre to preview their multi-award winning musical Tokyo Rose. We'll have a look at the forthcoming season featuring shows like Hairspray and we'll have some exciting news from Curve's artistic director Nikolai Foster. All that coming up next time on Curving Conversation. Curving Conversation